Father, we confess we, uh, we know our condition. We know we are weak. We know our, our hearts are prone to wander. And so we agree with the prayer we just sang that you would, in your goodness, bind our wandering hearts like a big chain that you would tie, fashion our wandering hearts to you in your goodness, that we might not wander, that we might rest secure in all that you are and all that we are in you. And help us to believe in our unbelief. Help us to, to trust in you rather than in our own strength, as I am tempted to do even this morning, as we are tempted to do as we come in here and try to muscle our way through whatever it is we're going through. Because we know that Jesus died for those sins as well. So encourage our hearts this morning through your word, by your Holy Spirit, that we might be fashioned to look more like Jesus. We pray this in his name, for he is our hope. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, good morning, River City. How are we doing today? Maybe I shouldn't ask that question collectively because there's a wide range of okay and not okay, but welcome. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10 if you would. If you need a Bible, uh, someone from our strike team can put one into your hands. So this is where we'll be today in Hebrews chapter 10, at least to start. <clears throat> We're continuing a series called What We Believe, looking at some of the key doctrines and practices that we hold here at River City and the scriptures that, that anchor them and uh, inform them. We're picking up where we left off last week, where we briefly looked at the doctrine of regeneration, asking what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. And today we're looking at two other important aspects of salvation, the idea of justification and the idea of sanctification. Now, these are important for us because they, they impact our status before God. They tell us how we stand before God and how we grow and how we change as we follow Jesus in this life. Now, these should probably be two different sermons and maybe three if we also include the doctrine of adoption. But we don't have time for that. I know uh, Devin, I told that to Devin this week. I said, I think I'm biting off a lot in like one 35 minute window. And he's like, well, you set the schedule. So, but I think there's value in us tackling them together. And, and here's why, because while justification and sanctification are distinct gifts of grace, meaning we, uh, we can't collapse them together into one thing. They also can't be divorced from one another. They complement each other as God works grace in us. So if we try to smash them together into one single thing, or if we try to separate them out to being one, uh, one is a work of God and the other one's a work solely of man, then I think we lose both the beauty and the power of both of them. And we end up with a really messed up view of grace and ultimately a... a messed up view of the gospel as a result. So my hope for today is not just to, to teach theological doctrine, but from the scriptures, help us see that, that justification and sanctification are distinct uh, gifts of grace working in unity to both establish us and empower us to live from now 
live our lives now all the way to glory. Let me say that again. Justification and sanctification are distinct gifts of grace working in unity to establish us and empower us to, as we live now and all the way to glory. Now, full disclosure, I don't know if we're supposed to have favorites, but Hebrews 10, 14 is one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture. 16 words of pure gold. And I just want to be clear on that so that you understand my bias, why I really, really like this passage of Scripture. Um, if I seem a little, a little giddy, that's why. This is one of my favorites. And again, I don't know if we're supposed to have favorites, but I do. And I think that Hebrews 10, if we start back a few verses forward, uh, Hebrews 10, verses 12 through 14, is a really helpful framework. If you take those verses as they are for understanding both justification and sanctification, how they're distinct and how they're connected all in one verse. And that's part of the reason why I, I love it so much. So let's read Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 12 together. This is the word of the Lord. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. May the word of the Lord accomplish its purpose in and through us this morning. Amen. And maybe you can see it already, but here's how Hebrews 10, 14 breaks down into its parts. He, Christ Jesus, has perfected for all time. There's our inroad to the idea of justification, which we'll get here in a second. Those who are being sanctified. And I like that because it just uses the word for us. There's our sanctification. So we're going to look at each one uh, in their distinctions and how they work in unity to bring us all the way to glory. First, let's look at the word uh, justification. I know I've used that word like 10 times now and I've not defined it. Partly because I want to get it into your ears a little. But, but here's a simple way to understand it. Justification is a legal declaration. It's a statement that the sinner is declared righteous before God. That's it. It's a, it's a statement. It's a declaration. It says, you who were once a sinner, as you now stand before God, you are counted righteous. So when we read in Hebrews 10 that he has perfected for all time, we get this sense that there's this perfecting work. Something has happened in the past to make this a reality, make this possible. Justification isn't the process itself. It's just the declaration that the sinner has been made righteous or perfect or upright. And this is important because it puts the cause in the right place. This word translated perfected that we have in Hebrews 10 is the same Greek word that Jesus used on the cross when he cried out, it is finished. That word finished is the same word that 
the writer of Hebrews uses here for perfected. It's done. It's complete. The work is perfect. And this phrase, he has perfected, in Greek itself, in the grammar, is... <clears throat> here's, the, here's the nerdy... Uh, if you like speech, here you go. It is a perfect, active indicative. Now, that might not mean a lot to most of us, including when I was like doing some study on this. I'm like, okay, help me understand why I just read that to all these people. It means that justification is an action that has been completed, in this case, by Christ Jesus, at a specific point in time that has current and ongoing consequences and effects. It has been completed, that, and it has ongoing effects. As an aside, when we dive into challenging words or, or grammar or things like that, we're not trying to impress you with some kind of pastor superpower. Just want you to know that. Or, or say like, oh, this is how smart we are. Look at what we figured out. But actually what we're doing when we do that and what we're attempting to do is we want to highlight that God has given us in his very word help and clarity we want to encourage you to drink deep of this while you read and while you study as you meditate on God's word and ask in faith for the spirit to teach you because he's given us resources here just right in front of our eyes. So, so the phrase he has perfected is, is written in such a way so as to help us understand that the perfection here is something that has been done, has been completed by Christ at a specific place and time in history. And built into it is the connection to something else that is ongoing. If you look at verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 10, where we started, we see the source. We see the cause, if you will. It says in verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Stop there. The doctrine of justification simply says that God declares the sinner to be righteous based on the perfect obedience of Christ Jesus. The single sacrifice of Christ is the cause, the reason why God looks at sinners and says, righteous. And this is the core of the gospel. That God saves sinners. Not because of works done in our own righteousness, but according to God's mercy. And we receive God's free gift of salvation by faith. That's why this is so important. This is the core of the gospel. We are here because Jesus Christ rescues sinners. Not because of the things that we do, but according to his perfection and according to his own mercy. Pastor and theologian Charles Simeon says this about justification. Justification by faith alone is the hinge upon which the whole of Christianity turns. It's kind of the linchpin. Our standing with God or before God is the, the linchpin to ultimately to our relationship with him, which affects our now, and it affects all of our life all through eternity. 
And, and it means many things, but here are three things of what it might mean for us. It means that the righteousness that we have doesn't come from us. It means that God doesn't just ignore our sin, but actually deals with our sin. And it means that when we are justified, we are justified once and for all. Let's look at all three of those. The righteousness we have doesn't come from us. See, justification says that when we are declared righteous, when we are declared complete before God, that the righteousness on display, as it were, the, the righteousness that we then have isn't our own doesn't come from within us but is is christ's righteousness not something we can attain by piling up enough good actions and enough good works to make ourselves look good and and be good enough it does not and in fact it cannot come from within Paul says in Romans chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from keeping the law for us, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. Uh, Maybe you've heard this verse before. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verses 24 and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ's perfection, His righteousness, His goodness goodness is now counted to us. And the word we use for this is another big word. It's called imputation. Literally, it just means that the sinner is credited with an alien righteousness, one that is not their own. It's external. Jesus Perfect righteousness is credited to our spiritual accounts. It means that our debt, what we owed then, is imputed to Christ. It's credited to Christ. Now think about your own bank account for a second. Maybe that gives you anxiety just thinking about your own bank account for a second. But but go with me. Think about your bank account for a second. And, and, And think about... Uh, your bank account as compared to the bank account of, say, uh, Elon Musk or, or Jeff Bezos. If, that, if that's how you pronounce his name, I don't know. He's like the richest man in the world. Um, his, his, uh, he's the founder of Amazon. His net worth, I read the other day, is somewhere around $110 billion. So I guess he doesn't care if I mispronounce his name or not. And, and let me just ask... Comparing the two bank accounts, if given the option, would you swap them? You're like, would I trade my $58 for 110? Yes. The answer is yes. Of course we would, right? And that's the picture here, this idea of being credited. Our spiritual bank account, before God, if you will, is just full of debt and and. We are, uh, to quote from another 80s movie that none of you, well, some of you may have seen it, but again, I'm showing my age. We are writing checks that we can't, our body can't cash. Top Gun. It's fantastic. That's the reality. Our bank account, spiritually, is full of debt. Negative, 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 red, 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 negative. Any little thing that we think we add to it is like that two-cent credit you got in your savings account every year. Like, look at two... Two cents, negative a billion, but two cents, right? 
And the, the reality is that debt is transferred to Christ on account of in his earnings, his righteousness, his perfection, his, his riches are given to us, are credited to us. The, the Father who is holy and perfect deals with our sin, doesn't just sweep it away, but, but deals with it by, by placing it on Christ Jesus. And Jesus, the perfect Son of the Father, blameless according to the law, trades with the sinner his perfection. We receive the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus, and he receives our sin and the penalty for that sin. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. It's the best exchange. And this is how God deals with our sin. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And immediately what comes to the surface is this question of fairness. Like how can this How can this be? God is holy and just, and and God upholds a standard of holiness and justice. You you can't just say it's okay. Because I know myself. And I know many of you. And as I read, and even though I, I know I shouldn't, comment sections on the internet, I know the reality of our human condition. There is little doubt regarding the unholy, wicked, sinful reality of our world and of our own selves. So how how can this be? How can God do such a thing? Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15 says this. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. God's very clear that he doesn't just deal lightly with wickedness and sin. When you call bad things good and good things bad, that's not good. But that's also the beauty of justification by faith. That God isn't being a hypocrite here by saying, I'm going to justify the wicked, which is you and me, and condemn the righteous, Jesus. But rather, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That there's a willingness on the part of Jesus to take on what we owe and give us what he has earned. He deals with it so that we don't pay for it. And, and, and he doesn't sweep it under some cosmic rug. Our sin, our, 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 our unholiness, our wickedness. And that's important. Our sin is actually paid for. It's, it's done. God our Father who is holy and perfect and just deals with our sin by placing it on Christ Jesus. And Jesus, the perfect Son of the Father, blameless according to the law, trades with the sinner His perfection. We receive the righteousness the perfection, and he receives our sin and the penalty for it. Our sins are no longer counted against us because they are counted to Christ and his perfections to us. And when he counts us justified, he does so once and for all. Look at Hebrews 10. 
for by a single offering. Verse 14. Verse 12. He offered for all time a single sacrifice. When Jesus on the cross cries out, it is finished. He meant that. Jesus doesn't have to offer that sacrifice again. It's done. And this is an important detail for us. When we are convicted by the Spirit of God over sin, when we confess our sin, when we repent, when we seek forgiveness, Jesus isn't being re-crucified. And we aren't re-justifying ourselves. No, we are acknowledging in our confession, in our humility, in our gratitude to God for His mercy to us, we are confessing and we are acknowledging that all of our sin, past, present, and future, has been nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And it's because... It's because we now stand justified in the righteousness of Christ that we can come boldly to the throne of grace knowing that we will find help in our time of need. He will not reject us because when He sees us, He sees the perfections of His Son, so He welcomes His children. So let me ask, do you actually believe that What Paul says in Romans chapter 8 is true. That there is therefore, now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That right now, if you belong to Christ, that you do not stand condemned by your sin. Do you believe that, that when you trust in Jesus by faith, when you actually trust Him, Do you believe that all of your sin, all of it, was paid for by Christ on the cross? Or that there's still a little bit of sin that you need to pay for yourself? Or do you hold yourself, or maybe other people, hostage? That you or they need to maintain a certain level of moral respectability before you or they would be deserving of mercy? If yes to any of these, can I just say that you're missing the beauty of God's grace on display in justification? That God would declare the undeserving sinner righteous. Yes, it is shocking. And it should be. Because it's the heart of the gospel. And it's connected to sanctification. So that was a brief overview of justification, and there's depths there. We'll talk more about that. And it works with sanctification. Look again at the Hebrews passage. For a single, by a single offering, verse 14, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If justification is a once-for-all declaration of righteousness, sanctification then is the process of the Holy Spirit working in us enabling and empowering us to actually become more like this Jesus whose righteousness we stand in. The word sanctify literally means to to set apart or to make holy. And there is a sense that we are at once set apart 
that God has called us and set us apart and has made us holy and is making us holy. He's not done with us yet. Amen. Like if this was done, there's no hope for anybody. He's not done with us yet. And in this instance, we're talking about the process of being made holy. And we ask the question, okay, how does that actually happen? If justification tells us we're saved from the penalty of sin, what sanctification is saying is that we are saved from the power of sin. In one sense, we are declared righteous. And in another sense, that which held mastery over us is now broken. It no longer holds sway. Paul says in Romans 6, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And here's the sanctification promise. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin no longer has dominion, which is power or authority. Rule. Sin no longer has rule over you. Sin's power over the Christian is canceled. And if the power of sin is canceled, we are then free to live according to the righteousness, Christ's righteousness, that we now have. In our sin, we are free to live according to our sin, to the master who ruled over us, the old self, death, sin, the flesh. But if we have been brought to life in Christ Jesus, regeneration we talked about last week, if we are declared righteous and we are given Christ's righteousness, now we are free to live according to that righteousness opposed to what we lived in before. And, Romans 6 says, you have been brought from death to life, and then says, so now present yourselves to God, according to your new life in Christ. Notice, there are commands here. Present yourselves to God. Don't present your members to sin. This is an active command. And these are all qualified. They're they're explained as those who have been brought to life. In essence, it's saying... Now you live. Now be who you are now in Christ Jesus. Live according to who you now are in Jesus. Justification is working for us. Sanctification is working in us. And so here's what that means. There's a few things. It means that there is work for us. It means that we don't work in the same way that God works. And it means that our efforts don't earn us anything. First, that there is work for us. Now, you don't have to turn there, but you can to Philippians chapter 2. This is maybe my second favorite passage that gives a glimpse into sanctification and its connection to justification. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. So he's speaking to Christians who are following after God. And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Maybe you've read this passage before. Maybe you've wrestled with it. Maybe it gives you a headache or heartburn, but I think it's pretty great. Paul's telling the believers in the Philippian church to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the word here, to work, is to do. (laughs) Do something. There's something here to do. And part of sanctification is is our own activity by which we express and exercise our faith in Jesus. We're working out these new righteousness muscles that we have in Christ Jesus. This is where we practice obedience. We put off the misdeeds of the flesh. We flee temptation. We set our minds on things above. We, we um, go, uh, strive to make disciples of all nations. We exhort one another towards love and good deeds. We partake in the ordinances of communion and baptism and many, many, many other things as the means by which God is using to express his grace to us and to grow us. He uses these things that he's called us to to actually accomplish the work of sanctifying us. And all these things are done in reverence, not out of guilt or out of arrogance, but we are striving to be humble and sincere because we acknowledge God's greatness. And here's the key. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for, and there's, where, there's the, the switch, right? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word work here in the phrase, uh, for it is God who works in you, is a different word for work than the word that Paul used for work in work out your salvation. Now in English it says work and work. But actually there's two different kinds of work here in this passage. Because we work, but we don't work in the way God works. The, the word work that we talked about first was the doing. It's the activity. And, Paul says, it is God who works in us. And that word is connected to uh, energy and power. The word work for God working in us is the power behind the activity. We just get two words, both say work. But they're different kinds of work. We work out our salvation, that's the activity, and it's God who works in us, the energy, both to will, which is the desire, and then the power to live for God's glory. We don't make Him love us, but we love Him because He loved us first. And we desire to obey and please him because he loves us so completely in Christ Jesus. See, as Christians, we are absolutely called to obedience and good works. I have no problem telling you that today. And it is God, the Holy Spirit, who works in us both to desire and the power to do what he calls us to do. God the Holy Spirit works in us both the desire and the power to do what he's called us to do. And sanctification also means that where we're called to obedience, our efforts don't earn us anything. 
We need to be careful not to think that we are justified by God and then we keep ourselves justified in our effort. That's not sanctification. The whole point of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 3, Paul's pretty heated up and he says, Oh foolish Galatians! He yells at them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law, by keeping the law, or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question Paul's asking in Galatians 3. Because he and they both know that we receive the Spirit by faith, not by works. And then he goes on. He goes, are you so foolish, Paul continues, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Question mark. Paul's reminding them, you you didn't save yourselves. And you can't keep yourself saved. Because here's here's the danger. On the one side, we can fall into the belief, the ditch that says that we contribute to our own righteousness, that we need to work to prove ourselves to God. We need to work to prove ourselves to others that we deserve in some measure to be here because we've done the right things. And we hold ourselves and others to a standard of self-justification proved by how close we are and how close we adhere to our interpretation of the commands of God. This was the problem of the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. And this is the problem of legalism for us. Of holding ourselves and other people to some kind of standard of self-righteousness. And on the other side, the other side, we can fall into the ditch that says, I'm justified and righteous before God. Therefore, I'm allowed to disregard the commands of God. And we think nothing of the holiness of God or the purpose behind the commands in his word. And this is what's referred to as antinomian or or anti-law, as if it has no use. And this is also a problem. Both ditches we can fall into. And both of these approaches are anti-gospel. Because both of these extremes deny the power of that gospel. See, the answer to both false beliefs, both that we contribute to our own righteousness or that we can disregard the commands of God, the answer to both of them is actually a better understanding of what the gospel truly is. The gospel says you didn't and cannot earn God's favor. You need a new nature And that comes through Christ Jesus. Only in Christ are you a new creation. And the old is gone. The new has come. Full stop. And the gospel also says that the spirit who is now in you is at work to transform you and grow you and empower you to live as God calls you now to live. And in his power, we love and serve and proclaim and obey, working in us to live according to who we now are in Christ Jesus. In justification, we are established as now righteous, not with the righteousness of our own, but with the righteousness of Jesus, who is perfect. The Father looks at us, like his children, and sees the perfections of Jesus and calls us his beloved sons and daughters. And from that 
new righteousness before the Father. God the Spirit is working in us to empower us, to change our desires. And He enables us to pursue all that God calls us to as His own children. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that at the right time you died for the ungodly. That you came to those who were far from you, lost as sheep without a shepherd, to bring us into your fold. Would you help us to see with clear eyes both the reality that we cannot earn one ounce of love or favor from you, but we are overwhelmed with your love in Christ Jesus. That you you cannot love us any further, any more, any deeper than you do in Jesus. And... Would you stir in our hearts by the Holy Spirit because of who we now are, both the desire and the power to live as you've called us to live as your children. To to see the, the commands of your word as no longer burdens that we have to carry to get up the hill, but as beautiful and working in us to transform us for our good and for the good of those around us. Encourage our hearts this morning as we come to the table. Meet us in our need and equip us for all that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.